Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. So, um, my name is Matt Johnson. I'm the youth pastor here at Living Hope. I'm filling in for uh, Jeff while he's over in Papua New Guinea. And I got a text yesterday from his son Isaiah, who's also with him. And he said, we have internet in Papua New Guinea. So I guess that means they're doing great. Um, so, uh, so I'm filling in for Jeff. I'm going to be here for the next week also. Uh, we're starting a two-part series, and we'll be finishing to, to next week, to next Sunday. Um, it's called Checkmate. And we're kind of talking about these strategies of uh, overcoming the idols in our life. Uh, and we're going to be in the Old Testament this morning. And for some of you guys, you just rolled your eyes, and some of you guys, you're like, yes. So uh, I love the Old Testament. Um, I think that for a long time, uh, I looked at the Old Testament as outdated, uh, not relatable. And as soon as I took off the Old Testament goggles and started reading it for what it is, I realized, oh, wow, this is the perfect example, the perfect allegory the homage to my problem uh, is, is totally explained throughout the Old Testament. Um, and so we're going uh, to go there. Uh, so while I sip this water, because I desperately need it, um, especially after worship, open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, and we're going to be talking about my favorite Old Testament story here this morning. Uh, before we get into that, I want to talk about something um, to kind of get us ready to read this. Now, last week we watched a video... Um, from Craig Groeschel, right? That's his name, Groeschel? Groeschel? Gro? Gro? G? All right, Craig Groeschel. And um, I got to think that Jeff had to, um, had to put that specific video on purpose because he knew what I was talking about today. And uh, I don't know if it was to help me along, coach me along, or if it was just to poke fun at me. But half of what he was talking about is totally what I'm talking about this morning, and that is uh, hunger and craving, how that leads to us idolizing. Uh, so I kind of want to cover that before we go into that. And even before that, I'm going to pray real quick. So Father God, I ask that, um, Lord, you just speak through me uh, this morning. Lord, um, God, just uh, speak through my weakness. Lord, make me strong. God, open up our ears, Lord, through your Holy Spirit to uh, just receive the word that you want us to receive uh, this morning. God, we just uh, give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, put up that first uh, little thing note, I guess, there, is that, this is the first thing we're going to cover, is that our, God, our desires are given to us by God. Some examples, sexual desire, monetary desire, relational influence. Uh, these are all given to us by God. And so when we are brought into this world, we, we are given a template for our body. And, and some of the things that are uh, in that are our desires. And uh, the thing about desires is they are programmed, they are set. But every once in a while, those desires are going to creep up, and we're going to want to act on those desires. That's, that's how God intended. That's, that's how God wants us to live our lives, is that if we don't act on our desires that God gave us, then we're missing out on something. God wants us to live a fulfilled life. He does. Um, but here's the thing, though, is that when we crave something that is bad and we act on it, that's where we as humans screwed up. And so one of the examples that Craig used, I was going to use this week, and so I'm just going to repeat it. Um, so I don't eat a whole lot of dessert these days. My mom can remember uh, that I used to eat dessert all the time, especially after, uh, after school. It would be come home, eat a bag of popcorn, then lick the bag, maybe have some ice cream and some chips. And then after dinner, 
definitely ice cream, like vanilla and like half a bottle of Hershey's syrup, make a little, you know, whip it, and then just eat it, right? I mean, I ate dessert every night, had a bag of popcorn or like a monster bowl of like Ritz crackers and stuff. Just, I ate dessert and just fatty, like food. Just, I don't, like, I don't know how this happened. I'm sorry. I just, it just happened. Um, So um, I just got in that habit. And so I craved it every time. So if I had a full stomach, I crank the dessert stomach and say, all right, where's my pie? Where's my ice cream? Where is it? Right? And then we find it, then we eat it, and then we're happy. So I, I was convinced I had two stomachs, my regular food stomach, and then as soon as that's full, we crank it over to the dessert stomach. Well, as time goes on, I, I really don't know how it happened, I guess, as I just started eating more healthier foods and, and, and being more active and just kind of being more physically healthy, I just craved dessert less. And the less I ate dessert the less I craved dessert, and then I craved it less and less and less and less. Now, if it comes down to dessert, my mom has these uh, really delicious dark chocolate and almond little, little things. Every once in a while, I'll walk by and grab one. That's my one for every couple days. But if I'm going to have dessert, I'm telling you, I'm going to have some homemade apple pie like with some like Baskin-Robbins mint chip ice cream or something. I'm going to have the good stuff. I'm not going to settle for just your average dessert, okay? But that's because as time has gone on, as I've craved dessert, and then I haven't acted on it, and the more that I've eaten healthier foods, and the more I've become physically active, the less my body actually wants the desserts, because my body knows that too much dessert is not good for you. And so the craves that we deny, we move away from. So put up that next, uh, the next point, is that what we desire, we hunger for. What we hunger for, we crave for, and the cravings we choose to feed on lead us closer to God or into captivity. So God has des- designed us with a desire and actually a need for food. Our bodies need food to survive. We desire food. Food is a good thing, and I, I love food. And after uh, this message, I'm going over to Hana Sushi to bank in on a bet that I won, and I will be getting a bubble roll from Hana Sushi. It's just this delicious sushi roll with some glazed, you know, salmon. It's, oh, it's amazing. Uh, so I love food, okay? I love it but I don't always eat food. I'm not constantly eating food, right? If I was constantly eating food, my body would just, after a couple hours, just say, what's wrong with you, and shut down, right? It would just say, done, and just give up. We're not always eating food, but we have the desire for food kind of always in us because we need food. And so we have the desire. Then when our body needs food, it says, right, feed me. It goes, and we gurgle inside, and we're like, okay, I need food, right? And so that's the hunger, so we have a desire for food. We need food. Then when we actually need to have food now, it starts to hunger. Now here comes a choice. Because hunger is going to come naturally. Do we follow the craving for what I have? What am I craving right now? Am I craving good food? Am I craving bad food? If I'm craving bad food, do I choose not to follow that path or do I choose to follow that path? So all of the choice comes in with the craving. We don't really have a choice to hunger or not to hunger. But we have a choice choose what we crave with food. And the same goes spiritually. We have desires in us that are going to hunger naturally. Let's just talk about sexual desire. We are going to have natural sexual desires. The question is, are we going to feed on something that God wants us to feed on, or are we going to feed on something that the devil wants us to feed on? Right? And when it comes down to what we fill ourselves with, we can fill ourselves with a couple of things. And I was thinking about it this morning, and I kind of jotted them down. There's three things we can fill ourselves with when we hunger, whatever it is. And that's the things of God, that's the grace of God, and that's 
the ways of our flesh, which leads to sin. So the things of God, the, God, the things that God has set aside for us. So let's say to the single people, that would be your wife or your husband if God has someone out there for you, right? And so for you single people, when you have that hunger for a sexual desire, or you have that hunger to be in a relationship, or you have that hunger, you're going to crave something. And in that moment, what do you crave? If it, is it something that God is craving for you? And so what some things that are helpful is when you begin to crave that desire, and you don't have that person, what do you do? Well, the things of God aren't there. There is the option for the ways of the enemy, or there's right down the middle of the road, the grace of God. Asking God to, Lord, give me the strength to go beyond this, give me the strength to pray for this person that I may not even know now, and prepare yourself so that when you do receive the thing from God, the things from God, your husband, your wife, the blessings from God, you will be able to fulfill the desire that God has planted in you. And another example is, is monetary, right? So this is a debit card. Pretend it's a credit card. I was actually planning on getting a credit card before this, you know, but life happens. Uh, so this is a debit card, a pretense credit. Um, so for some people, a credit card is just the worst thing for them, right? They spend, they spend, they spend, they spend, they spend, they spend, they debt, 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 can't get themselves out of debt, now they're trying to. For other people, credit card is a wonderful thing. They're able to purchase things that they would not be able to purchase otherwise. They're wise with their money, and they're able to uh, spend within their limits, within reason, and they're able to stay. And it kind of goes down the road, right? We have the whole parameter here. Because the desire, the need there is spend money. We live in a world where the, you know, legal tenure is the means of purchasing in, in, in every society for, you know, really for millennium have had that, that that's how it's set up. And, and so the desire, the need to spend money is there. So the question is, when you crave something, Maybe it's something you don't need, or maybe it's something you don't need now. Are you going to spend money on it? How do you spend money on it? What do you do? Right? And so we have these desires within us, and, and the same thing goes with smartphones. I mean, we can just go example after example after example. I just recently got this. Love this phone. I have been bucking the smartphone thing for so long. I dug my heels in, and I'm just like, I'm sticking with the old school way. And, I mean, it got to the point where my limitations for communication and what I do, I would like to expand myself to be able to do more with my phone. And so I purchased a new phone, and it's great. I love it. For some people, a smartphone is just the absolute worst thing for them. It's this, right? I saw this great meme the other day, and I apologize if you don't know what a meme is. Um, it's basically, uh, you know, we love to talk about the zombie apocalypse at youth group and all sorts of stuff. The zombie apocalypse, hopefully you know what that is. Maybe some of you have watched The Walking Dead or something like that. Um, anyway, this meme was this person who was walking around like this, and it said, zombie apocalypse already happened. Because I see this all the time. Just, just this happening, this happening, this happening, nothing. And then someone's, you know, talking to them. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm guilty of doing that too. But it's, some, some people cannot get their eyes off their dang phone. Some people live inside their phone. And for others, it's the means of communication via text, voice, Skype, whatever. And so we have a desire. We have needs. God has placed those in us. The question is, how do we act on them? So now that we've kind of gotten the uh, Old Testament goggles off, and we're going to look uh, into the Old Testament real quick, I want to pull up that next slide, and this is the idle cycle. I apologize. Everything was set up, and then when we uploaded it, I guess it got all fouled up, so it, it looks real messy. Um, uh, where, where are we? Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, go to the next one. Go to the next one. I wanted to jump there. 
next, next. There it is. All right, the Seattle cycle. I want to, uh, first service I had this afterwards. I actually want to go there now. Um, so I apologize, it looks messy. Um, but um, here it is. So the idol cycle. Uh, in the Old Testament, this happens time and time and time again. The Israelites are in slavery. They are oppressed. Uh, they need freedom. So they call out to God. God sends a prophet or, or someone to liberate. And through that means, they are freed. And then a couple generations later, they fall into slavery or they fall into oppression. They fall into this. And it's all because of idolization. If you look through the, uh, the template, if you look through, you know, just the historical records of the, the Old Testament, what the Israelites did, it was always falling directly into the false gods of the land or idolizing the things of the flesh. False gods of the land, idolizing things of the flesh. And so the Israelites, over and over, do this thing called the idol cycle. And we, as humans, in our lifetime, tend to do this as well. And so we start out with idolization, uh, which leads to captivity. Idolization leads to captivity. And then oppression, the affliction, the guilt, the shame, the I can't get out of this, the it's affecting every facet of my life, or at least one facet, and it's destroying it, right? It leads us into a place where we need change, and so we call out to God, and we say, God, I need freedom. And he gives us freedom, and he blesses us. We have abundance, and we are given the blessings of God, and we are, and we are out of that captivity, we're out of that chains. Uh, and then this is where it can stop, or... We can do this. We can become complacent with the blessings of the Lord. We can become complacent with our freedom. We can even hijack our freedom and do what it says in Romans and basically say, well, I have freedom so I can sin all I want, but we don't really say that because it sounds ridiculous, but we kind of think that some, somewhere in the background of our brains. And that complacency can lead to ignorance. It can, can, it can lead us to a place of, okay, just ignoring the rules of God or not knowing them, which is two completely different things because in Israel— what would happen sometimes is that they would not pass down the ways of the Lord, and so the next generation would be ignorant of what God has done. The other way we can be ignorant is if we choose to ignore the warnings, choose to ignore the way God has set up, the way everything that he has set up. And that leads us empty, that leads us seeking. We can either go right back to God, or we can go back into captivity. And so that's the idol cycle. Uh, it's not a end-all-be-all, concrete, perfect Thing, but I kind of put that together to kind of uh, go to understand where we're going uh, this morning. So open up to Judges chapter 6, if you haven't already. Verse 1, I'm going to need some water. I can already feel my voice just like a, a needle nose kind of in the back of the throat there. <coughs> Excuse me. So verse 6, no, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive... The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Machalites, and the other eastern uh, peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle or donkeys. They came up with their livestock, uh, or, yeah, they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so impoverished, the Israelites, that they, uh, they so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And that is part of the idol cycle. They became 
so oppressed that they called out to the Lord for help. Verse 7. When the Israelites cried to the Lord for help, uh, cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent a prophet. This is what the Lord, uh, this is what the Lord uh, God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them before you, or I drove from before you and gave uh, you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And so there we have it, the gods of the land, right? And so God has set them free. He has given them land and said, this is the land I'm giving you, okay? This is where you live. And just so you know, there are people who live there, and this is the gods that they follow. And I'm telling you, do not follow those ways, or you will fall back into captivity again, and again, and again. And it happens again, and again, and again. And so, again, kind of talking about the, the Old Testament goggles that we can get. You know, we say, okay, these false gods in the land, I mean, I don't even know how you're pulling this into relatability. I mean, no one, if they rolled in here with the church with this wooden tiki god and said, that's God, it'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm all in, right? Like, no, we, we just, that's ridiculous, right? So I don't know how you're pulling this out. Well, let's look at uh, one of the gods of the land, which we're going to talk about in a second, in the next passage, is uh, they would build um, these, these wooden posts or these wooden poles to the god of Asherah. Asherah, uh, to, the, uh, to the land of Canaan and to the Amorites, uh, was the fertility god the god uh, of sex, the god of fertility, the god of, of, of birthing babies. That whole, that, that whole sphere right there is, that's who Asherah is. And so if you're wondering how this is relatable, take a second, look at the gods of our land. Really recently. What are some things that's all over the media, that's in everything? It's sex. It's sex. This is so relatable to us, yet if we just kind of look at this with the Old Testament goggles, it becomes old history, old news, unrelatable. And so sometimes we wonder, Israel, why would you just go back to the false gods? Why would you just go back to the old ways that you know is wrong? Why would you just go back to the false gods, to the idols? It's because the same thing that we do, the same reason why we do. We have desires, we have cravings, and if we give in, it becomes an idol for us. That is what happens. So that first point, the first main point, is God seeks to free man, but man seeks captivity. If I had thought about it, I would have thrown the words through their actions. But God seeks to free man. Man seeks captivity. This happens over and over and over. Old Testament, New Testament, human history from a secular standpoint. My history, your history, we do this. We do this all the time. That God seeks to give us freedom, and when he does, oftentimes we put ourselves back in captivity. If we walk out of that jail cell, and we live a life for God, and then the season gets hard, and then we choose to go away from God, we choose to walk back into that cage, we can do that. God has given us free will to do that. We have the ability to go back into captivity. We have the ability to go back, walk away from the Lord. The Lord will never walk away from us, but we can walk away from the Lord. So God seeks to free man, but man seeks 
captivity. How do we do that? Second point, idolization leads to captivity, which is the reason why the Israelites fell into captivity. The reason why spiritually we can fall into captivity. It is a cause and effect thing. We idolize, we fall into captivity. We idolize, we fall into captivity. So, since we're talking about idolization and idols, you guys would probably like have $50 if you had a dollar for every time I've already said it. Um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what is idolization. So I was thinking about it this morning, praying about it this morning, and uh, God just gave us, this, 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 is just, this is just great, okay? Now, really simple definition of idolization is when we put the finite created over the infinite creator. The finite created over the infinite creator. Romans chapter 1 talks about the fall of man into idolization. And it says that the, the wickedness of man caused them to worship the created rather than the creator. And if it's a little weird for you to, to believe, it's in there. It's Rome, in Romans chapter 1. It says God actually turned man over to the lustful ways of the flesh because of the idolization, because of worshiping the created. So God said, okay, man, you have free will. You have free will. But there's a consequence for your free will if you choose to go down the wrong path. And so man chose to worship the created. And so God said, okay, you worship the created. Here's the consequences of worshiping the created. You fall into idolization, and you fall into captivity of what you worship. On this, in this life, what you worship, you will fall under. You will fall under. So if you are worshiping God and you become under God, he will bless you. If you worship the things of the flesh, you will be captivated by it and put into captivity. That's cool. Captivated, then captivity. That's cool. So um, the, the other way of saying it um, is, Erwin um, McManus uh, said this. We're watching this great uh, series of Impact um, about the truth between us. And um, he was talking about Hinduism and kind of the, the idolization that goes on in Hinduism, which is incredibly fascinating, his, his study of basically saying what divides us, let's just throw that away, other religions, let's say, okay, what is the reason why you believe what you believe, and now how do we answer all of your questions with Christ? And it, it's great. And so we we're talking about idolization, and what he was saying was, uh, this is great, so it's, I believe it's the third point, uh, if you're taking notes, when we materialize, we idolize. When we materialize, we idolize. And sometimes, when we use the word materialism out there, images comes up of, like, fancy cars, big house, right? The idea of the consumption version of materialism basically says anything that's expensive and big, that's, that's buying it, and you're a materialist. There's a lot of definitions of materialism, and one of them is putting the creator of the creator. When we say, all right, this is mine, and, oh, man, how, how cool would it be, actually, just side tangent, if we, like, got, like, indoors for product placement for, like, the water bottles I put up here? That'd be awesome. Um, totally beside the point. I just thought of that. That'd be totally cool. Um, but when we put the material over the God who created the material, when we reduce the things that are God's to the things that are ours, vice versa. So when we materialize, we idolize, created over the creator. Let's read on and... Let's see how we are freed from this. So in verse 12, it says this. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty 
warrior. And Gideon says this, but sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have. Save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. And the Lord says this, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites together. And so there's a couple of things uh, that's just amazing about this. So Gideon is down in a hole threshing wheat, right? And, and that's what he does. He's, you know, farmer, and he, he's a small, you know, kind of insignificant guy. And this is what he's doing. He's threshing wheat. And I love this. He's hiding. He's hiding from the Midianites because he knows that if the Midianites see him threshing wheat, first they'll take his wheat, then they'll kill him. So that's not a good scenario for him. So he's hiding. He's hiding from the hand of the Midianites, the sword from the sword of the Midianites, and he's down there threshing wheat. And the Lord comes to him and says, So here's the deal. You are liberating a country. Any questions? And he responds, uh, I got a few, uh, one of which is I am the least likely candidate in this whole region to do that. Could you go to someone else? My, den- or my eye doctor voice kicking in, could you go to someone else? Is there anyone else that you'd like to do? Or you look better the second time? Anyone else? Um, so he, he, God comes to him and he says, you're going to liberate Israel. Okay, you're going to liberate Israel. And, and he says, my family is the least of this area, and I am the weakest of my family. That's like saying, President Obama comes to you and says, congratulations, you're going to go liberate a country. And I'm like, I'm the like, weakest person in California? Could you go to, I don't know, maybe a veteran at least, or someone who is in the military now. Somebody besides me. I'm a youth pastor, come on. I mean, I'd love to shoot stuff, but please go to someone who's trained to do that, right? So God comes to a farmer and says, you're going to go liberate a country. How ridiculous. How ridiculous. And this is one of the principles of God. If you look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's the same. It's relevant. Is that God calls the apparently underqualified. God calls the apparently undereducated. God calls the apparently understrength in order to do incredible things. David and Goliath. We're familiar with that one. Gideon. Even Samson, the, the great warrior, he got his strength from the Lord. It wasn't his own strength. It was the strength from the Lord. When God took his hand off of Samson, nothing, absolutely nothing. He's overpowered. But when God has his hand on Samson, he tears down buildings with his bare hands. That's the kind of God that we serve, amen? That's the kind of God that we serve. And when we look at the New Testament, God calls fishermen to change the world. I was thinking about this analogy, and it would be like if God came to me with this crazy vision, and I know it's outlandish, so just, 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 just listen. Stay with me here. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not by no means trying to uh, actually say what I'm about to do, or do what I'm about to say. If God came to me and said, all right, Matt, in the same way that I changed the world by 12 people, you're going to do the same. And you need to call... On your own choice, 12 people change the world. Okay. So I start cranking gears, right? I'm like, okay, I got, I got 12 people out of 7.2 billion people. Who am I going to choose? 
And some names start coming to mind. All right, let's get, uh, let's get some Franklin Graham. Let's get some Billy Graham. Let's get some Andy Stanley. Right, people that I know that are influential, people that I know that are amazing, people that I know that, that are just, they're, they're influential and they're men of God. And this is the thing, though. God didn't call people who already had influence. God called people who had little to none influence. He called the people who man looks at and says, you are overzealous or you are complacent. And God says, no, that's my child whom I love. And he is go- or she is going to do amazing things for me. And this is why, a little bit of scientific thinking here, is that God is outside of time. Okay? We perceive time as a timeline. If we start from here and we go to about here, let's say it's the end of our life, and we say, all right, I'm weak here now. A couple years down the road, God gives us strength. So we see at one point we were weak. At this point we were strong. God is outside of time, and so he's looking at this whole thing, almost like rather than a timeline, he just looks at it for what it is. And he doesn't call you, you were weak, now you're strong. He says you're strong because that's who you are predestined to be. You're predestined to be this because this is who you are. Not who you were or who you became. This is who you are because this is who you predestined to be. So when he looks at Gideon, he doesn't say you are weak. He says you are a mighty warrior because you're predestined to be a mighty warrior. This is your role on this planet. And so some of you might be feeling like, I don't know what my role is on this planet, or maybe this is my lot in life to be miserable. And what I can tell you is that God doesn't look at you and say you're miserable. He looks at you and and calls you by first your name, then your purpose. Your purpose in his kingdom. Your purpose on his planet. He looked at Gideon and didn't say, all right, little weakling, going to give you some strength, and then you're going to go liberate a country. No, he said, greetings, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. Little feeble farmer dude in a hole, says mighty warrior. That's so good. That's so good. He doesn't call you who you are today. He calls you who you are destined to be. And then he says to Gideon, though, there's a little caveat, there is something he has to do. He has to obey. And he has to go. He has to go, and he has to obey. He says, go in the strength that you have, and you will strike them down. You will do what I'm calling you to do. You will do this if you go. If you go. But sometimes we look at ourselves for who we are now and God gives us a dream. God gives us a vision. God gives us a command or a commandment to go, to do, to say, to think. But because of our current situation and how we view us, we dismiss it because, well, I don't have the resources. I don't have the education. I don't have the qualifications to do that. But God doesn't see you for who you are now. He knows what you need, but he looks at you for your whole worth, your whole complete worth. He says, this is who you are, this is what you need, and I will give it to you. But you've got to go. Because if you don't go, I won't give it to you because you won't need to use it. And so the blessings that you receive from God, if you do go and follow his commands and obey the visions that he's given you, You will receive those blessings if you actually do it. Because if you don't do it, then you won't need the blessing. How crazy is that? And so if God calls you to do something and you don't do it, not only will you not receive the blessing of doing it, but you won't receive the blessing of the things you will receive in order to do it. The training that will benefit you for the rest of your life. The stories that you'll be able to tell people for the rest of your life. 
like stories I've heard over and over and over again. I don't know how I'm going to have the money to go on this trip. Last second, boom. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at you. Last second, money comes in. Boom, praise God. Right? God can do anything at any time. God can do anything at any time. And so if God gives you a command to go, believe he's going to be able to do whatever he wants. And it will happen. If he can liberate a whole country through a little farmer who's so afraid that he hides in a hole, he can do anything. He can do anything. So the first thing God asks him to do is in verse 25. Verse 25 says this, That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, so it's full, full grown, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asher pole. So there it is. There is the, the goddess that we're talking about, the goddess of sex, the goddess of fertility. Uh, then, this is great, build up a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on top of it, using the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down off of the second bull as a burnt sacrifice. So, in obedience, Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told them. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than at daytime. So on top of him being afraid of Midian, he's afraid of everyone else. He's afraid of his own people. That if I remove these idols, something bad's going to happen to me. They're going to kill me. I'm actually not going to cover the next 20 verses or so, but they threaten to kill him. They threaten to kill him. And, and so this is crazy that God calls someone who's so afraid of the enemy, and he's so afraid of his own people. It's basically him and, him and ten people are going to go to liberate a country. And we're going to see that later God calls this huge army, then reduces it to basically nothing to go conquer it. And we're going to talk about that next week. But he's so afraid, and yet he does it. See, God doesn't need us to be bold. Oh, it helps. You look out through the Acts of the Apostles, right after raising from, from the dead, they're all, we need more boldness. I don't know about you, but I don't have the boldness a lot of times to go see someone on the street who has a blanket over him and say, all right, I'm going to go pray. That guy's walking today, right? I don't really have that boldness. But if I did, I don't think the first thing I'd be praying for is more boldness because that's just dangerous. If you have the boldness to go pray for someone under a blanket on red asphalt and they walk and you need more boldness, ooh, crazy. But they did. They prayed for more boldness. That's the apostles. Gideon is afraid but obedient, totally obedient. He sets an incredible example for us today is that we may be underqualified. We may be weak. We may be not knowing what we need to do, and God gives us something to do. And if we don't do it, we don't receive that blessing. We don't fulfill that duty, that destiny that God has for us. So the template of freedom comes in verse 25 and 26, where he says, so go, tear down the altars, or sorry, tear down the, the idols. Then on top of it, right on top of it, build an altar to the Lord. Use the wood from one of the idols to burn the sacrifice. I love this. It's just the ultimate slap to the face to the enemy. Just, all right, so the enemy's got all these people worshiping false gods. And so God tells Gideon, all right, first going to tear them down. Then right where they were standing, you're going to build a proper altar to me. Then you're going to use the wood from the idols to burn the sacrifice for me. It's just like, oh, it's so good. And that sets the template 
So what we're supposed to do when we fall into idolization, we need to fill that with things of God, with the grace of God. Or else, when we hunger and crave for the thing we have idolized, if we don't fill that with things of God, or the grace of God, we will continue to crave until we give in. And that's set right there where God tells him, first remove the idols, then fill it with something that's honoring to me. Fill it with something that's honoring to me. And so God calls us today. When we remove the idols in our lives, we need to fill it with the things of God or the grace of God. And if we don't, we will hunger and crave until we give in. And that's how we fall back into that, that idol cycle. And so obedience leads to freedom, which is that, that final point. Is that obedience leads to freedom. If we are disobedient to what God has called us to do, we will stay in captivity. It's pretty simple, but at the same time, it's, it's so brilliant. Not because I said it, but because God set it up that way. God set it up that way. Is that if we are disobedient, we will fall back into captivity. There's a reason why at the end of the Great Commission, go and baptize, and he goes through a whole list, and at the very end he says, now teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. The epistles that come after Jesus goes in the Acts of the Apostles are all to the churches to make sure they are, they are obeying what God has told them to do. Paul and, and the other apostles that send letters, Peter, they are to churches and to people to make sure they are obeying what God has told them to do or praising them for doing it. There's a reason why There's a reason why we are called to be obedient. Not because it's some mundane set of rules that we're supposed to follow. Sounds like, first of all, really boring God. God's not boring. Read Song of Solomon. Hello. You guys, God set up in place a series of laws and commands for our benefit out of love to keep us out of captivity. Because God does want us to live the most fulfilling life on this earth that we could possible. God doesn't like it when we are sitting in self-loathing. Loathing. Loathing. <laughs> he does not. He wants us in a place of joy, which is why it says in James chapter 1 to consider it joy when you endure trials of all kinds because it prepares you, makes you complete. On the other side of trials, we are stronger, and the world loves to just bite off of Scripture and turn it into songs. I'm sorry, but what kills us, or what doesn't kill us, does make us stronger. And also, what kills us makes us stronger for those who follow Christ. It's crazy. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And so if we are falling into idolization, we need to be obedient. First Peter talks about being obedient to the truth, which is the gospel. And what is the gospel? The thing that frees us. Close your eyes for a second, just for a few minutes. Um, I I want you to imagine this scene with me. I wanted to play this video, but um, I'm going to be that video today since I couldn't figure out how to make it work. Um, (laughs) So imagine this scene. There's uh, three guys on a stage, and uh, one of them is a murderer. One of them is a really self-proclaimed, we know he's a murderer, He's a bad man. He's a thug. He's killed people. Proud of it. That's what we want him to do, right? Not a guy you'd want to have hang around your kids. Not a guy you'd want to hang out with at all. And then on the, on the other side is this guy who's actually been raising people to the life. Right? Well, this guy is over here. 
killing people, this other guy over here is actually raising people to life. People who are dead are now living because of him. He's been healing blind eyes. He's been giving people life. He's been setting people free out of captivity. In fact, he's perfect because he's God. He's perfect. And then the third guy walks in and says, all right, I'm going to give you one of these men to be killed. I'm going to give you one of these men to walk free. Who do you want? And the crowd says, give us the murderer. Give us the the self-proclaimed murderer. The man who led an insurrection to kill people of the government that you yourself stand under and represent. We want that guy. And Jesus looks at Barabbas, says nothing to him. Nothing. Nothing like, go and walk. Nothing, why are you doing this? Nothing. He doesn't say anything really good or bad. He's just silent. Silent. So Barabbas, the murderer, walks down the stage smiling because he knew that he just got set free. He just murdered a bunch of people. He just got set free. And so Jesus is turned over to carry his cross to go die a murderer's death. The only person who has ever walked this earth that could ever be called good is now taking up the cross for a murderer. A murderer. If a murderer walked in this room who just killed a bunch of people, how inviting would we really be to that person? How inviting would we really welcome him in here? I really question that, and I'm not just saying that. I really wonder, if someone just walked off the street and just killed a bunch of people around the block, would we invite him in here? And yet Jesus says, nothing. And he lets him go free. Lets him go free. Takes up his cross. It'd be like if a murderer just walked up on the street and walks in here, and someone in here says, all right, I did it. I did it. You're free. I did it. That's what Jesus did for us. That's the freedom that God wants for us. And for those who put ourselves back into captivity, God is standing up there silent, taking your cross over and over and over and over again. Can we take advantage of that grace? Can we take advantage of that grace? Romans warns against it. Romans warns against it. It turns us into lukewarm Christians who, who do not have reverence for the Lord. And it turns us into people who just hunger for idols and the cravings become so a part of our lives and so entrenched in our lives that when Barabbas walks on stage and walks off that stage, the convicted murderer taking, taking the cross and giving it to, to Christ and, and Christ walks off the stage wearing his cross to die a murderer's death, we almost lose the realization that I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. I am that murderer that just walked in on the street and someone just walked in and said, I did it. That's who Barabbas is. That's who you and I are. We are the person who are the, the convicted murderers, the thieves, the liars, the adulterers, who we look in the Bible and say, how dare they do that? And yet Jesus goes to the sinner's house because he wants to give freedom to the sinners who are us. If you're still closing your eyes, you're welcome to keep them shut, but you can look up here if you want now. You guys, Christ wants us to have that freedom. Christ wants us to have the freedom that he gave a murderer Barabbas. At any moment, he could have spoken Barabbas into unexistence or walked off the stage, could have called down a legion of angels to massacre anyone. He could have done anything he wanted to. At any moment, he had pure free will as God to do the right thing. And at any moment, he could have done anything, yet he chose to say nothing. As it's prophesied in Isaiah 53, that as a sheep before the slaughter is silent, Jesus 
silent. It says nothing. So that we could have freedom. So that he would die for us. You guys, that freedom is, <laughs> freedom is no joke. Freedom is no joke. I wouldn't be up here spouting off a bunch of lies if I didn't believe it. You know, I, I talk with a lot of people that my number one pet peeve, pet peeve is such a euphemism for it. I really hate it. I hate lies. I, I have had just the lies that, that are just atrocious lies. Con- I have convinced, I've been just convinced of so many. And it has just ruined so many parts of my life. You guys, lies, 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 I just, oh my gosh. I cannot begin to describe to you how much I hate lies. And I would not be up here testifying to the gospel unless I believed it. I would not. I would not. You guys, the freedom that Christ has for us is no joke. It is no joke. And it's something that we should. Can we, can we just actually give praise to God? Because seriously, come on, come on, come on. Because if we really believe it, if we really believe it, then, then, then why is it such a small deal? And, and I've, I've talked to so many people about this at the Easter message. Okay, Easter's coming up. We're going to be hearing, hearing about Jesus again. Like, oh, here comes the Jesus story. Here comes the Christmas story. And it should be the forefront of our lives. The, the epistle of 1 Peter and so many of the other books of the New Testament all start out with, all right, here's the gospel message. The chap- first chapter of John talks about the fall of man and then enter Jesus. And it's all about the gospel message. The beginning of so many of the letters at the beginning are, greetings, he- here I am, here's the gospel message, now let's go on. And it's interesting that all those letters are written to believers. Isn't that interesting? That all those letters in the New Testament that start off with introduction, my name, I'm an apostle, here's the gospel message, here's, here's what Jesus did for you and me, now let's talk about how we need to be obedient. Those are all written to believers. Those are all written to churches. Those are all written to people who are leading Christian churches. Why would he put that in there? Why would Peter and Paul put the gospel message at the beginning of the letter to Christians, if they, did, if they knew that Christians, we need to be reminded of this. You guys, we need to be reminded of the freedom that we have, or else we can get in that habit of when we do fall into idolization, say, I need to get myself out on my own strength purely. You guys, if Gideon, on his own strength, he's a little farmer, come on. One farmer and 300 people are not going to liberate themselves from a country of, it said it was impossible to count. Samson, without God's strength, he was nothing, absolutely nothing. With God's strength, he killed, uh, was it 100 men or 1,000 men with a donkey's jawbone? 1,000, thank you, George. 1,000 men with a donkey's jawbone, okay? Wow. Then he pulls a building in on himself in order to kill a bunch of people with his bare hands. That's the power that God has. That's the power that God has for us. And so if we lose sight of the gospel message of who Christ is, the freedom that he has given us, the same freedom he gave Barabbas to walk free, have the chains fall to the floor from our idols, you guys. We will try and do this on our own strength. And like Samson, when God's hand was off of him, we will fail. You guys, our own devotion solely, our own focus solely, will get us places, but it will not lead us out of captivity. God's freedom, the freedom that God gave Barabbas, the murderer, that's the freedom that's available to us. Um, if we're going to have, uh, if, if uh, people who would be willing to pray 
with people. Um, uh, there was a few from uh, last service. Would you just come up? I want to, uh, we're going to pray and dismiss, um, but if, if you need prayer for something or you're actually on behalf of someone else to intercede for them, uh, if you need healing, if you need freedom, if you need something that's totally unrelated to what we're talking about this morning, but you need prayer, I'd ask that I'm going to be up here, James is going to be up here, and um, anyone else who uh, feels led to, to offer up that opportunity to pray with people, they'll be up here. And um, I really want to encourage you that let today be a day you receive freedom. If, if you've never received Christ and you're wondering, what is this freedom all about? Come and talk with us. If, if you are a current believer, you're a Christian, and, and you yourself have fallen into the idolization that that captivity and you need freedom come and talk with us because preparing for this sermon four months ago when i was in mexico i had to take inventory on my life really quickly i knew my idols it was just automatic i could write them all down in about two minutes and it was a long list let me tell you it was a long list if you're like me then you know very well the idols that you are currently worshiping, really. Maybe it's because I take inventory on myself a lot because I know I really need to for the sake of you guys. <laughs> I, really need to take, I really need to take accountability to myself and have others keep me accountable. But maybe you haven't taken inventory on yourself in a long time and you need to. Maybe you need to. Guys, there is freedom up here available. Up here. There's, there's, there's no magical, no magical stage over here. There's no magical set of words. There's no magical formula other than Christ's freedom and obedience in that. So let's pray. Father God, I ask that this morning, Lord, your Holy Spirit would just move on behalf of your people, not only in this building, but Lord, outside of this building, Lord, in in this town. Lord, we face an incredible enemy, Lord, at times, and above the temptation that the enemy offers, Lord, there's so many circumstances in our life that can make us lose, lose hope lose sight of you, lose sight of your gospel and your freedom. Lord Jesus, I ask, you know, that your freedom would just rain down this morning. God, the sounds of chains just hitting the floor would just be heard all over this room. God, that we would be able to walk in freedom, walk out of the store. Lord, your sacrifice and your freedom is at our 12 o'clock as we walk on. Lord, may we just walk in your freedom, walk in your love, and walk in obedience, Lord, even if it's hard. Because obedience is some of the hardest, hardest things we'll ever do, Lord, is being obedient to you when it's hard. God, make us like Gideon, though we may be strong, or maybe we may be weak, we may be feeble, we may be underqualified. Lord, you call us for who we're destined to be, and you will provide. So God, give us, give us the motivation, Lord, to be obedient, God, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.